0: MMA might be the most difficult sport on the planet. It takes years to actually get good at it. It's even harder to make it to the UFC. And then only the very, very few will get enough wins or momentum to fight for a title. And then it's really the 0.1% that will become champion. And there's been some truly phenomenal fighters that have walked through the doors of the UFC that despite those epic win streaks or seemingly being the next title challenger, have never even had the chance to fight for a world title. Few names on this list. might surprise you but you should probably get ready to shout out your favorite most underrated ufc fighter right fall is here everybody and not unlike the summer you're probably going to need some new t-shirts aren't you oh how about a nice hoodie well you can get all of that and more of course at our sponsors true classic everything they make they do with premium fabrics okay so not only will you look good but they all do feel really nice as well they're doing a deal for you guys okay listen up 25 percent off your first purchase at trueclassictees.com All you have to do is use our code MMAONPOINT25. They've been a sponsor for a long time now, okay? I've said it before, I will say it again. Their shirts are amazing, okay? The best part is it is a premium product at an affordable price. And you can buy them in bulk as well if you want. They come in packs of three, six, nine, all sorts. Most importantly today though, we talk about their hoodies, okay? I'm wearing one right now. Now that it's getting colder, okay, this is my go-to hoodie. It's ultra soft. It's made with a slimmer, more refined fabric. And it pretty much goes with anything in my wardrobe. They sent us some hoodies, okay? This is the one I've got. I've been wearing it basically every day since. It goes with everything in my wardrobe. It's perfect. And you always need a hoodie in the cold months. So you go get one right now. All their clothing is basically designed to be as versatile as possible so it can fit in with whatever your lifestyle might be. So you can look and feel your best all damn day. And they are so committed to their products, they even have a 100% risk-free guarantee and an easy returns policy. So if you're ready to make an autumn upgrade, go and check out trueclassictees.com. Make sure you use the code MMA on 25 and you can save 25% off your first purchase. Like the hoodie, mate. I'm Bailey from MMA On Point. Shout out to all the Hall of Famers who are our top supporters on this channel. And these are the top 10 UFC fighters you thought were going to fight for a title. Number 10, Derek Brunson. I don't necessarily know why the career of Derek Brunson has been memed so much by the MMA community. You know, apart from dyeing his hair blonde and everything. I mean, it might also be because he's completely changed his style several times in his career. He was part of the Strikeforce alumni. And after a hit and miss start to his UFC run, he got a big win over Lorenz Larkin in 2014. And that set him on his first path towards a UFC title. That was the first of a five-fight win streak for Derek, and after Larkin, he turned from an American wrestler into a complete brawler. I think it started when he KO'd Ed Herman in just 30 seconds, because then almost immediately against Sam Alvey, he just started running at him, slinging punches. But fighting like that, he ended up finishing four guys in the first round, and after he TKO'd Uriah Hall, he was tied for the longest KO streak in the UFC, so he asked for a title shot. I think it's about time to give me that title shot. I'm next in line. Let's go. But he got Robert Whittaker instead, and the whole charge-for tactic like Achilles on the beaches of Troy just didn't work. That didn't change how he fought immediately, though. It wasn't until he got finished by Israel Adesanya that Brunson decided to reinvent himself yet again. He went back to his wrestling and put together a five-fight win streak, dyed his hair blonde, and became a mythical fighter, and that took him to the number four rank in the middleweight division. He had then what was basically a title eliminator against Jared Cannonier, but unfortunately got finished in the second round, and that was as close as the blonde bomber ever got to the title. Number nine, Travis Brown. There's been a few guys at heavyweight who've shown up in the UFC undefeated and seemed destined to fight for the title and never quite made it. It's not necessarily an uncommon story, but Travis Brown's just hits a little different. You might know him now as Ronda Rousey's husband, but at one point he was one of the best UFC prospects of all time. He was six foot seven, a former basketball player, so he had great movement, had a great physique to be a long, rangy, powerful striker, and that's exactly what he was. He had zero martial arts experience when he discovered BJJ at just 26 years. what would you like the power to do mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america NA, a member It's old and in basically one year he got to the rank of purple belt and won nine pro fights on the u.s regional scene and then he even made his ufc debut and scored a first round knockout yeah not bad for your first year ever in martial arts after two years in the ufc he was 13 and 0 and had moved to work with greg jackson at his gym now this was some planetary alignment shit but then came along TRT Bigfoot, who KO'd him in a crazy upset. Damn, okay, well, I guess maybe Travis needs a bit more time before he's a UFC title challenger, except in 2013, the next year, Travis had maybe one of the best heavyweight years ever. He knocked out three MMA legends back to back, all of them in the first round, and every time he won knockout of the night. He got his title eliminator against Fabricio Vadum, but before that fight was when he switched camps to the Glendale fight team under Edmund Tarverdian, and yeah, it was all downhill from there, basically. Travis only won two of his next seven fights before retiring in 2017, never quite making it to a UFC title shot. Number 8. Cub Swanson A perpetual staple of both the WEC and the UFC featherweight division, Kevin Luke Swanson has been a pro now for 19 years, has put together multiple win streaks, tied second for the most knockouts in featherweight history, and has got himself in the UFC Hall of Fame, but like everyone on this list, surprisingly, he never fought for a UFC title. After a pretty decent WEC run, apart from the 8 second Jose Aldo loss, he made his UFC debut against Ricardo Lamas, but he was submitted by the bully. But that's when Cub probably went on the best win streak of his entire career. First he tko George Roop, then got a knockout of the night against Ross Pearson with a crazy finishing sequence. Then he took out Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier, which have both aged super well, and then added Dennis Seaver and Jeremy Stevens, which were both fight of the nights, and that made it a six-fight win streak, putting him at number two in the featherweight division. But both Ricardo Lamas and Chad Mendes were waiting in line to get shots at Aldo, so he didn't get his chance to fight for the belt. It was booked instead against Frankie Edgar, who hadn't lost to anyone at 145 apart from Aldo, and he took Cobb to school. Killer Swanson put together another four-fight win streak in 2016, but despite him always being one of the best 145ers around, he could never quite make it to a UFC title. Number seven, Ryan Bader. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Like you hear the name Ryan Bader and you think UFC title challenger, but even though he got super close a couple of times, he never actually got to compete for the belt. He won the Ultimate Fighters season eight in 2008, and then four more wins after that, he had to take on John Jones and got battered by the future goat. After that, he was only fighting the best in the division, and, you know, they were all pretty good, and maybe it was a bit too soon for him. He only went 3-3 three and three over the next three years, and then after a tough loss to Glover Teixeira, he managed to reinvent himself once again as a title challenger. In two years, he beat five light heavyweights, including OSP, Phil Davis, and Rashad Evans. That's when he was even linked to a fight with Daniel Cormier. They said, Daniel, what do you want? I said, I want the easiest fight in the division. I want Ryan Bader. But DC never fought Bader. He fought Gustafsson, who was coming off a loss, and Bader... Well he had to fight Rumble Johnson and he got flatlined in ninety seconds. I think Ryan had enough of the UFC after that and after two more wins packed up his bags for Bellator after eight years in the promotion. Number six, Carl Parisian. When the UFC was just picking up steam in the early days and the welterweight division had slowly been filling like an hourglass full of sand, among them was Carl Parisian, who'd been a pro since 1999, had fought all across the US, and was a product of the MMA Armenian judo world. He did great at first, but then lost a tough decision to GSP, but then he went to the WC, won the welterweight championship, and came back to the UFC ready to do the same thing. Across the next two years, he knocked off the top welterweights in the division, Nick Diaz, then lights out Chris Lytle, and Matt Serra, before capping off with a TKO of Nick Thompson, who had been on an eight-fight win streak. It seemed like the heat was on the verge of a shot at the champion. But Hughes fought a 39-year-old Hoist Gracie, and Carl lost the undefeated Diego Sanchez in the 2006 fight of the year. But he got three more wins in less than a year, and now maybe Parisian will get a second chance to make it to the title shot. Except, oh wait, they did that season of the Ultimate Fighter where the winner got a shot at GSP, and that was Matt Serra. Carl fought Thiago Alves a few months later, and he was TKO'd. And, you know, despite all his experience, could never quite make his way into title contention. Number 5 Askar Askarov Of all the advantages you can get inside the MMA cage, I don't think many people would say that being deaf is one of them. But that's not the case, according to Askar Askarov. Now, obviously, growing up with only 20% of your hearing is going to force you to deal with numerous struggles throughout your life. And Askar has said it's hardened him, but also gives him an advantage in his fights because he can stay incredibly calm. Whatever the case, not only did Askar win a gold medal at the Deaf Olympics, but across the first five years of his career went 11-0. He won the ACB Flyweight Championship. That got him into the UFC. And considering the flyweight division, isn't the most stacked, let's be honest. Him arriving as an undefeated Russian wrestling prospect meant that a lot of people already thought he might fight for a world title. After a split draw against Moreno in his debut, he set about the rest of the division decisioning in not necessarily the most fun fashion. Tim Elliott, Joseph Benavidez, heck, even the current champ, Alejandro Pantoja. After he beat Joby Wan Kenobi, he moved up to the number two spot in the flyweight division. I mean, that's pretty much a guarantee you're gonna fight for the world title. But Ascar had another problem to deal with. He unfortunately just couldn't always make way. He actually missed by one pound when he fought Joby, and then had to pull out the day before the fight with Brandon Royval because he couldn't make weight. Perhaps if that hadn't have happened, as a number two guy, he would have gotten his shot. But about a year later, he fought Kai kara France, who beat him, and then went on to fight for the interim title. By the end of the year, Asuka asked for his UFC release, and they gave it to him. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, he only lost once in the UFC. Number four, Jimmy Rivera. You might have heard of the Tiger Shawman Martial Arts Academy if you wondered where guys like Shane Burgos and Uriah Hall learned to strike. It was under the tutelage of the six-time Karate World Champion, Tiger Shulman. Jimmy Rivera was also a prodigy of Tiger Shulman, and he went pro in MMA at 18 years old and even competed in Bellator at just 19. But after winning and defending the King of the Cage Flyweight Championship, he actually got a shot on Season 14 of The Ultimate Fighter and was beaten by someone who maybe could have made this list, Dennis Bermudez. But apart from that, Jimmy kept his win streak going until he was 16 and 1. And he fought the man everyone makes their UFC debut against, Marcus Brimage. But unfortunately, as it normally goes for Marcus, he was KO'd by the new UFC prospect. Then Jimmy fought Pedro Munoz in his next fight, the vet, Iri Alcantara, And finally, on the main card of 203, the legend, Uriah Faber. The whole division was unnoticed at that point. It was the first time Uriah had lost at bantamweight, not in a title fight, in his entire 13-year-long career. But then he fought Magic Marlon Rice. Now, Marlon was in the middle of a three-fight first-round finishing streak and one head kick 30 seconds into the fight caught Jimmy Cold, and that was the end of his UFC title dreams. What followed were tough losses to Aljo, Peter Yarn, Pedro Munoz, all decisions, but still. After that, Jimmy left the UFC for BKFC, where he battled to a majority decision, and I think said, fudge this fighting stuff, I'm going to become a policeman. Number three, Zabit Magomed Sharapov. Oh, well, the hardcore fans love to talk about Abraham Lincoln, the UFC featherweight slayer, who some might tell you could have been one of the best 145ers of all time. Of course, he's from Dagestan, had a base in freestyle wrestling, but also Sando which you don't see often. But, you know, he ended up at Wushu boarding school where he lived for 10 years and that's why he was insanely good at a variety of martial arts. All these things combined made to be one hell of an interesting individual. He was tall, he was rangy, he had flying kicks, unpredictable attacks. After winning the ACB championship, he joined the UFC at 12-1 and put everyone on notice in his debut against Mike Santiago. Then he started to climb the ranks. He had the fan base rallying behind him because he was just so goddamn entertaining. Maybe people questioned his cardio, but in 2019, he beat Jeremy Stevens and then Calvin Kader in Russia in a fight of the night that put Zabit at number three in the UFC rankings. But sadly, that's where he stayed. He was linked to fights with Yair Rodriguez, which would he have won, he would 100% fought for a UFC title. But he just stopped fighting. There were reports he was suffering with health issues and his immune system, and his return was teased in 2021. But sadly, we never saw Zabit compete again. Number 2. Phil Davis I think any fighter that was an American college Division 1 wrestling champion that transitions into MMA gets heaped with pretty high expectations. Phil Davis joined that club and then he joined the elite fighters at Alliance MMA and even went on to win a gold medal at the World Jiu-Jitsu Championships when he was a blue belt. That all helped him get into the UFC at just 4-0 where he was immediately met with killers like Brian Stan and Alexander Gassafson and he cut through them. His grappling was kind of sensational. In just one year he'd won four UFC fights and then was matched up with the legendary younger Nagara brother who was still highly touted and Phil beat him. And then the UFC already put him in a title eliminator against Rashad Evans. Now at the time sure, was 16-1. He'd only ever lost to Lyoto Machida, okay, so it was a big fight for Phil and his chance to fight for a belt just two years after making his UFC debut, but he couldn't get it done. Rashad was too much for Mr. Wonderful, and he went on to fight Jon Jones for the belt. Phil went back to the division, though, and won another three fights, including beating the former champ Lyoto. He maybe could have fought for the title, but Glover Teixeira had just arrived, and the UFC catapulted him towards Jon Jones. On that same card, though, Phil fought Rumble Johnson, who'd just been cleaning house in the World Series of Fighting. It was a title eliminate a fight and Phil let John know he was coming for him, even jokingly squaring off with him at media day. But Phil probably should have focused a little harder on Anthony, who negated his game entirely, and unfortunately for Mr. Wonderful, he never got close to the UFC title pitcher again and ended up leaving the promotion for Bellator. Number 1. Rafael Assuncao Sometimes there's these fighters in the UFC that are so good, so hard to beat, but never seem to get any recognition or support from the fans, and Rafael Asuncao, even though he only lost once in seven years, he never actually fought for a title. Why? Well, for one, you know, he didn't speak English, so I don't necessarily think that helped connect him to the fans. I think some of you probably don't even know who this guy is. And he was also, you know, just a little bit boring. In 12 UFC wins, he only has three finishes, but you can't really deny that he did put together the type of win streak that would usually see someone fight for a UFC title. In 2011, he started a five-year unbeaten streak. That's seven wins at a time when the bantamweight division didn't even really have that many challenges. Sometimes it wasn't his fault, like when he was ranked number three, he was supposed to fight ranked Francisco Rivera, but Rivera pulled out so instead he fought Pedro Munoz who was making his debut and wasn't ranked at all. He was then actually given a title shot against Henan Burrell, but he had a lingering injury and so turned it down. That's when TJ Dillashaw stepped up, we know what he did to Burrell. But even now Dillashaw was champ, Asuncao had beaten him not even that long ago. And even though he hadn't lost, he still moved down a spot in the rankings. He then went on to dominate Brian Caraway but broke his ankle in training and ended up sitting out for almost two years. In that time, Dominic Cruz came back to the division and won back his title. Asuncao then finally rematched TJ at UFC 200, but he lost. What happened next was even crazier. He was ranked number four and won four fights in a row, but didn't get a title shot. He just went from rank number three to rank number four, back to three, over and over again for two years while TJ and Cody fought for the belt. He didn't lose, he'd lapped the division, and then he had to refight guys he'd already beaten, like Marlon Rice, and he lost in the rematch in the first round. Unfortunately for a Assuncao, he was just in the wrong division at the wrong time, and I guess not really being an exciting fighter didn't help him either. All right, everybody, thanks for watching the video today. Uh, kind of an interesting topic. I'm sure there are people you thought that maybe should have been on the list. I think these are like the 10 guys who at least the majority of the community thought were going to make it to the title or were good enough to get there or almost had those opportunities and then they just let us slip. Before we leave, I do want to say thank you to our channel champions here at MMA on Point. They support us by clicking that join button down below. There's also a link in the description if you want to join them. You get some cool benefits and you help support the channel and the content that we make here. We've got to give a shout out to the editor as always who made this video. That's Mr. Luke TT Taylor, the boy as we call him here. He's uh, probably dancing or something in this clip right now. I don't know, but uh, he's not here today. Or I'd punch him. I look terrible, you fucking prick. Don't film this. If you did appreciate the video, you can give us one of them a thumbs up. That's always nice, isn't it? Cheeky. Uh, or if you want to see more, click subscribe because you might be new here. Welcome. Thank you very much for watching. Appreciate you. Oops. And uh, we'll see you soon. I'll give you a, a, a roundhouse. That wasn't very good, was it? <laughs> That's thing.